have your Bibles, we're going to be in Esther. And that may seem like a strange place uh, to go, but we're going to be in Esther. And if you're new to the Scriptures, uh, Esther is in the Old Testament, and you will find it uh, about midway before Psalms, so everybody goes to Psalms because it's so big, but go back a little bit, you'll find Esther there. I'll give you the background of Esther in just a moment. But uh, I wonder, just like I prayed, I wonder in our day how the world sees the church of Jesus Christ. I, I wonder in how they see us and how we respond things and I, and I've thought of a couple of things I, I thought maybe they see us um, for more than what we are against than what we are for we're judge, kind of judgmental is is how they see us um, I think sometimes they see us as false and hypocritical I, I think they they know enough of the scriptures they know enough about Jesus to see the truth of him, and sometimes we are kind of the antithesis of that instead of looking like Jesus. I, I wonder sometimes if they don't see us as a just a political group. In other words, we have elections coming up. They're huge in November. And, I, and you hear this in the news. Oh, if we can get the evangelical Christians on our side. It's almost like it's a political group that exists instead of the life-giving love of Jesus to our world. And then I wonder if uh, they, they see us just as another religion. You know, just lump those Christians in with uh, all the other world religions and, and there they are. And, and it's almost like Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said, they hold to a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And they see us, they see a crowded parking lot on Sunday. They think, oh, those people are gathering for their cultish time, and they're going to go out and attack the restaurants after they're done, and, and that's what they're going to do. But they don't see us living out the power of Jesus Christ. Well, we are called to be different. We're called to go against the flow. And that's why I went to Esther today, of all places. Let me give you some background. I'm just going to read one verse, and somebody that's a deep Bible scholar is going to say, Mark, you're picking and pecking there. But I, there's a reason that I'm going here. The book of Esther, the children of God, have been dispersed in, uh, uh, in Persia. They've been conquered, they've been dispersed into Persia, and there's a king, and this king, he got rid of his current queen, and he's looking for a new queen. And Esther is one of the ladies that's groomed to possibly be the queen. And lo and behold, he chooses Esther. What makes Esther special? Esther was one of God's chosen people. She was a Jew, and uh, she is in this incredible position. In fact, whenever you hear the term, for such a time as this, is what uh, Mordecai, her uncle, said to her. Maybe you're a queen for such a time as this. But there was a guy by the name of Haman. Haman really detested uh, God's chosen people. 
He detested them. He wanted to get rid of them. And uh, so he had ends with the king. And so he goes before the king, and this is what he said in Esther chapter 3, verse 8. Esther chapter 3, verse 8. This is what Haman says. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples and all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to, is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. And so, in other words, what Haman is trying to do is win the king on, him, on his side, and he's saying there's this group of people that are dispersed among the Persians, that have they live differently, they think differently, they follow a different king, and you may need to bring them in line. So Haman talks to the king about setting up a situation that when the trumpets blast, the people are to hit their knees before the king, and uh, Haman knows the Jews are not going to do this because they're different, and he thinks... Mordecai and all the Jews will be wiped out, not knowing that Esther is going to have the end to save, it, uh, save the people. But here's where I'm going on this, is that this group of people, the children of God, stood out because they were different, they lived different, they thought different, and they followed a different king. I wonder in our day if people say, you know, those followers of Jesus, the people of God, they live different, they think different, they follow a different king. I wonder if they see us that way. Because that is what we're called to be, different. And I'm not saying odd for God. I'm just saying our lives ought to reflect the glory of God and be different. Now, switching gears just a little bit. I used to be a charcoal man, and some of you are still charcoal men, I, I, amen, but I, I switched to propane and propane accessories, but the reason being is that propane is faster and this kind of stuff, but I, it's not that I'm against charcoal, I think it's great. But, you know, to build a charcoal in your grill, to build a good one, you clean out the previous ashes, you stack your briquettes in, in there so they're touching one another, you take your lighter fluid, you soak it, you soak it, soak it, and then you uh, let it sit a little bit and because you're waiting on the spark to come. And here's my deal. And eventually you throw the spark in there and you wait for the coals to die down and then they're ready. I mean, it's hot. It's good. But I wonder if God is not getting us into position, and this is what I'm really praying this month. That's why I'm praying so hard and pushing you and uh, is that God... Allow us to be in position. Let us get the old ashes out of the way. Let us come together. Lord, let us be soaked in you 
And then we're going to wait on you to bring the flame to kick us up. I just just pray, God, we want to get in position. It's not up to us to bring a revival. It's not up to us to bring a spiritual outpouring. It's up to God alone. But we can get in position to receive that. And so what I want to do this morning, I'm going to be reflecting over For you that know me, you know I love the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I think in in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we had a picture of the Spirit-filled life right there that God intends for His followers to live in. And so thinking about uh, God wants us to get us in position so that He can send the flame, what I want to do is I want to give you five uh, vows. A.W. Tozer calls them vows. If you don't know A.W. Tozer is, he's my favorite read as far as um, dead pastors. And, and uh, he had five vows in his life he lived by. And I read these years ago and, and journaled on them. And I thought, man, that is it. When I look at the Sermon on the Mount, those five vows, if, if the followers of Jesus would take these up, we would be in position to receive an outpouring from God. The first one is this. Deal thoroughly with sin. Deal thoroughly with sin. We have a tendency, because we talk about grace a lot, and let me tell you, I believe in grace. I believe every sin that I ever committed was taken to that cross. But that does not, that grace does not give me a license to live out my life according to the flesh. It does not do that. And what we have a tendency to do, instead of confessing and repenting of sin, what we have a tendency to do is to say, oh, man, I'm just sowing wild oats. Uh, And instead of calling it adultery, we call it an affair. Instead of calling a, a, a lifestyle that is not godly, we call it an alternate lifestyle. We, we uh, just make excuses. Oh, man, that flesh. You know that flesh is so strong. And we defend it instead of confessing and repenting of it and dealing harshly with it. We, we just let it go. And we just think, oh, that's just, I'm just a man. I'm just a man. God created me this way. no. He, I, you're always going to struggle with the flesh, but that is no excuse for not dealing thoroughly with sin. And so we need to deal that, deal with this. And Cain and Abel in the Old Testament, you remember Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. And the Lord says this in, in uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 7, uh, uh, 2, 7. He said, he said, sin is crouching at your door. See, that's the way sin works. It just crouches and, and, and you're saying, man, I, I just give in. I think, I think that we need to be careful that sin, uh, uh, sin fractures our fellowship with God. Your relationship is established through faith in Jesus Christ. But yet, how many of us are walking out of fellowship with God because we clung to a sin area instead of willingly, thoroughly cleansing and dealing with it? 
the way to deal with sin in our lives is through what we call repentance, right? And uh, imagine you're going down I-35 and you've been going for about 20 miles down I-35 and all of a sudden you realize you're going the wrong direction. So what do you do? You exit off and you turn around, one of those turnarounds, you, and then you get on the on-ramp and you come back going the right direction. You may have to make up ground, but you're now going the right direction. What repentance is, many people think repentance is a feeling. No, repentance is an act that you do that you're going the wrong direction. You take the off-ramp of confession agreeing with God that this is wrong, that agreeing with God that this is sin, agreeing with God that this has affected your fellowship with God. So you exit off through confession. You turn around because of God's grace and He's so gracious. And then you do the, uh, the on-ramp of restoration and God gets you going the right direction. Now, some of you may say, well, Mark, I've held on to this sin a long time, and, it, and it, it's something that's just become a part of my life, and it, the consequences have been there in my life. Still the same thing. Take the off-ramp of confession, take the turnaround of grace, and take the uh, on-ramp of restoration. That's what we need to do. So if you're, you're thinking, okay, I'm waiting for the feelings to come, you know they're there. You know they're there. You know... You, because the Holy Spirit just reminds you and He's knocking on the door of your heart and, you, and, and sometimes it gets faint because we have, we've held on to that sin so long. So number one is deal thoroughly with sin. Number two is this. Do not own anything. Do not own anything. And I, I know you're thinking, Mark, we live in 2022. We live in an expensive area. We have to have places to live. We have to have cars to drive. We have to have groceries. We have to have clothes to wear uh, and this kind of thing. I did not say that you did not need uh, provision. I'm saying do not own it. The question is, do you manage what you possess or does it possess and own you? I, I think about... Uh, for some reason, this is the way my mind works because you will identify. Carpet, new carpet. Yeah, you had new flooring before? New carpet, especially. And that smells good, it's beautiful, it's, it, it's, it's just there. Take your shoes off! You know? Don't! You know, because we want that new carpet. It's just a matter of time, though, before that carpet is going to get worn out but man we want to keep it as pristine as we can and that and part of that's good management but a lot of times because we we think it owns us and then it ends up owning us and so the question I have for you are you a manager are you a steward of what God has allowed you to have or does it possess and own you and that's the question and that's what the, uh, make the statement, do not own anything, but be a manager. God, show me how to manage well so that you are brought glory. And the scripture says, 
Do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust did not destroy and thieves did not break in and steal. And then Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, Do not be anxious of your life, what you shall eat, or your body, what you shall wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he says, Consider the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your Father cares for them. And you're not more valuable than they. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your lifespan? They do not worry about your clothes, what you will wear. Consider the lilies of the field. They do not toil or spin. Yet I tell you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of the least of these. So if God so cares for the grass of the field that is here today and tomorrow thrown in the furnace, how much more will he care for you, oh, you of little faith? And uh, then he goes on to say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added unto you. But you seek first the kingdom of God. And so the question that we have to deal with is, are we managers of what God has given? I, I, can, I can say this honestly, that not a person in this room will take anything out of here when you go. You will take nothing. All of us will check out of here one day, and these earth suits will be left behind. Everything else will be left behind but we own nothing. Tony Evans, when he was in seminary, he and his wife, uh, it, seminary is a time when you don't have a lot of extra revenue, you don't have a lot of extra time. He said the way that they would make money is they would do house sitting. And uh, he said they would be contacted by somebody to house sit. Sometimes there'd be pets involved, sometimes kids even involved. But it would always be going to that house, living in that house for however long, week, week, two weeks. You would live in that house as long as the owner was gone. You would live in that house to manage it. And that's what we're called. We are here. We're strangers and aliens, according to the scriptures. We are here. God is the owner. We are here as managers until he takes us out of here. So... Do not own anything. Three, three is this. Cherish all relationships. Cherish all relationships. Listen, not everybody is going to agree with you in life, but everyone is an image bearer of God. And we think, how do I cherish those relationships? It's going to take the Spirit of God to do that but cherish all relationships. I love what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, uh, you've heard it said of old to love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and you will be sons of your Father in heaven who causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and it rains to fall on the just and the unjust. If you only love those who love you, what good is that? Even the tax gatherers do that. And if you only greet those who greet you, what good is that? Even the Gentiles do that. You must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. We are called to cherish our relationships. And you know, what I do and live here, as long as Pam and I lived here, 
you're going to offend somebody. And uh, people are going to misread you, get angry with you, whatever that may be. That's just part of life and misunderstanding and walking things out and miscommunicating in the midst of that. But I, I have a core value in my life to not let any relationship totally fracture. I've got this fear of God that he's going to put them next door to me in heaven, so I may as well deal with it while I'm here. But that's the deal. I cherish all relationships. I, I cherish people, and, I, and I, I believe that we are called to uh, have all relationships as sacred. And we, as believers in Jesus Christ, are to love the unlovely and the throwaways. You know, there's certain people in our world that are considered unlovely and throwaways. If the church, if we as followers of Jesus aren't going to love them, then we got a problem. I, um, uh, back in 1999, got to go to Romania for the first time for us to get involved in ministry there. And uh, Bruce and Sandy Tanner, Sandy passed away this past year. Bruce is still there. Met Bruce and Sandy. We supported, uh, we've supported Bruce and Sandy all the way uh, uh, till today. And we continue to support Bruce and Sandy. But I remember going there, and uh, Bruce and Sandy took, um, took me up to what was called the Spital Hospital. But it was a, a, a spital that had mentally and physically uh, handicapped people. And uh, these were considered the throwaways. They were just put in that hospital to throw away. Bruce and Sandy started with one home. They now have three homes where they take those throwaways that society considers throwaways, and they take them in, and they care for them, and they get them a place to live. And I'm thinking, that's the heart of Jesus right there. That's the heart of Jesus. And, and uh, we are called to love the throwaways and we have to remember that we want to treat others the way we want to be treated. Don't, don't slander. Don't gossip. Treat others with respect. So all relationships are to be cherished. Number four is this. There's five. Number four is this. Do not defend yourself. Oh, that's a hard one. Do not defend yourself. And I'm not speaking about if somebody's attacking your house and coming after your family or there's a, a, a war situation that is just, I, I understand that. But I'm talking about those things that come in life where you just uh, get them in your crawl and you feel like you've got to defend yourself. Uh, sticks and stones may bake, break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? Oh, that, that guy was sadistic, whoever came up with that uh, poem. Because words just... I would rather be beat pull pulp than have my character assassinated. And uh, yet, we want to defend ourselves instead of allowing the God of the universe to defend us. And Jesus did not defend himself. On the cross, when he was being tortured, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Sometimes when we get into the process of defending ourselves, that what happened is we make it worse, and then we just think, oh, I put them down. 
and there's not a win in that. The, the flesh just wants to rule. We want to retaliate. We want to revenge. We want to get even. Um, I, I've had times in, in ministry, especially when we were planting uh, the church, that some people would say some things that were very harsh and, and mean. And I remember riding around with a friend in his truck, and, and uh, he did not go to Northeast. The church would replanted at the time and I was getting some criticism and and critique not from him and I'm riding around with him and I said I said I just need you to be honest with me I said if if they're just in what they're coming against me with then you please tell me because I trust you and I want you to know Pam and I will be gone from this town in a heartbeat and uh, he said, he said, no, he said, that's not the case. And so, you know, I could handle it. Uh, and most time when people come against you, uh, they, do not, um, they do not have the whole story, and you just got to somehow forgive them. Now, I want, I want you to understand this illustration that I'm about to give you, because some of you are going through life, and you have some wounds that are deep, and some scars that are deep, and you're just wondering, God, when are you going to retaliate? When are you going to bring the revenge that is there? Uh, and I want you to know, in your earth suit, this may not happen in your life, but let me, let me try to give you a picture to understand. Suppose you're going home after church, and you're driving in your neighborhood, and somebody rear-ends you. So you get out of your car, they get out of their car, you, you meet and you look at your car, and sure enough, it's dented. This person had run into the back of you. Obviously, they're guilty. They've done damage to your car. And you say, say let's exchange information. Let's exchange insurance information so that we can get this dealt with. Suppose the person says to you, I don't have insurance. And so you, you get a little angry. You swallow it down, and you're thinking, well, I've got to make a decision here. I've got a dent, this dent. This person is guilty of causing that dent. They don't have insurance. They are really, uh, if I waited for them to pay it off, uh, this car will be a clunker by the time they pay it off. I have the insurance. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and get it fixed on my own. Now, what does that translate into real life? Some of you have been dented. Some of you have been hurt. You've been affected by another person. And they're as guilty as they can be. I cannot defend them. And you're, you're scarred for life because of what they did to you. And you are carrying that around, waiting for some insurance that will pay to fix what you're going through and I want you to know that's not going to happen. We have a God of restoration who has all the insurance you need to take your hurt and your pain and to care for you in the midst of that. And please understand, I am not saying, oh, you're not just in your pain. You're very just in your pain. But do not carry it around forever. I want you to know you have God that loves you immensely. So... Do not defend yourself. The last one is this. 
Don't take God's glory. Don't take God's glory. God created us for His glory. And I'm guilty all the time because of my pride and my flesh to steal glory from Him. Oh God, look what I've done. And How many of you want your name mentioned all the time or you want a pat on the back? Oh, I hope they mention my name, especially in that crowd. If they mention my name, that, that will give me a pat on the back. But what we're really doing is we're stealing glory from the one who has given us his incredible glory through Jesus Christ and by his Holy Spirit. And we're called to reflect that glory. And I want you to know that when I look at things in our culture today, I look at marriage struggles and, and I've come to the conclusion I'm not a good marriage counselor. And, 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 uh, and you may be thinking, well, Mark, you've been married 43 years to, to Pam. You ought to have some experience. We got some great experience. But I, I've come to the conclusion that people don't want to hear what we have to say because they want a new communication technique. They want a new skill to, to try to fix their marriage. I want you to know, unless you die to self, you will not have the marriage that God intended for you to have. And who wants to hear that? Good night. But that's the truth. And, and we must not take God's glory. We must be willing to die to self. You know, if we were to walk down the streets of New York City or even Congress Avenue or or in Chicago, and, and you were to go by all the big stores, you look in those windows of that store, and they have a certain thing in the windows called mannequins, right? A mannequin is uh, there, and he's dressed up, or she's dressed up, and uh, that mannequin's there. That mannequin is not thinking, oh, I hope they see me. He's just dummy. He's just a dummy that others have dressed up and fixed up. And the mannequins, the dummy's responsibility is look at me so that you will go in the store. It's not to come to me. It's not to come to the dummy. It's to go into the store. He's an attraction for what is in the store. You and I ought to be an attraction to come to Jesus. We are not here to bring people to us. We are here to bring people to Him. And if we reflect His glory, we're just dummies that He has dressed up to give Him glory so that they want to come to Him. Amen? That's what we're called to do. In our day, we've not been doing that. So, what? What do these five things mean? I think these five things are getting the barbecue in place, soaking it in the lighter fluid, and waiting for the spark of God's Spirit to set us ablaze. And that's how we're going to go against the flow. We've got to live here. Now, let me, let me say this. We get to live here for such a time as this. 
God wants to use it for His glory. So next week, we're going to gather in the evening to pray. Here's what I want to ask you to do, and then I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to push you. I'm going to call you to fast, maybe Saturday and Sunday. And uh, some of you can do without food. Some of you can't do without food. you got to go to the doctor first to see if he, you have permission to do without. No, we don't have time for that. Just some of you can do without food, but can't do without social media. I'm going to ask you to go before the Lord and say, Lord, what can I set aside that's a distraction that keeps me from you for a couple of days as we join together and pray? Let's pray.